Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Oh, hi, hello. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv. You know the one by now. And if not, you need to listen to me more. Well, yet again, I'm back with the Aeneid. Yes, that's right. That's two episodes in a row. How far we've come with old Aeneas and my feelings on the matter. I'm seeing it as real growth. A quick merch note before we dive in. Very soon, I will be releasing a number of new, exciting merch designs. My incredible friend, Matthew Dunleavy, who designed the logo and the Judgment of Paris and Medusa, has been busy designing a bunch of new and very fun pieces. He's also doing it while doing a PhD and having two kids, because he is the best. But with those new merch designs comes 
the retiring of some old ones. There are a few designs that won't be available after the end of this year, so make sure you head to my merch store now to snatch up any before they are gone. Merch that's being retired are now marked on the site as last chance, so head to mythsbaby.com merch to check those designs and order anything before it's too late. Well, with that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, it's time for more Aeneas. Where were we with that guy? Well, he and the other Trojans had finally, finally landed in Latium on the Italian mainland. There are a number of different names for this general region, but I am using Latium for all of them because everyone would be confused otherwise. This is where they've been trying to get all that damn time. And at first, it seems really promising. The Trojans visit the king there, Latinus, and they're welcomed. Woohoo! But then, huh, then, Juno figures out what's going on and says, fuck no. She sends one of the Furies, Electo, down to Earth to really fuck up all the goodwill that the Trojans had already garnered there. Electo goes to Latinus's wife, the queen, Amata, and poisons her against the idea of their daughter, Lavinia, marrying Aeneas to unite the Latins and the Trojans. And then she goes to Ulysses, Aeneas's son, and has him hunt a very precious stag, which then turns all the herdspeople of Latium against the Trojans. And then she goes to Turnus, the man Lavinia was originally supposed to marry, a powerful guy in the region, and convinces him that he needs to go to war with the Trojans too. Basically, Juno just has Electo go down and start a major war between, well, everyone. Aeneas then takes the Trojans in search of a group of Arcadian immigrants in a town called Palantium, which could side with them. Their leader, Evander, thankfully, agrees. This is episode 102, Vulcan sure can forge a prescient shield. Juno isn't the only goddess paying attention to what's going down in Italy. Venus, Aeneas's mother, she's paying close attention too. Needless to say, she's more than a little concerned by the recent developments in her son's epic quest to found the greatest city in the world. Venus voices her concerns to her husband, Vulcan, one night in their bedroom. This in itself is a big indicator that we're reading Roman mythology now and not Greek. Aphrodite? Speaking lovingly to Hephaestus? No, not Greek at all. Madness, really, what these Romans have done to Aphrodite, making her enjoy spending time with her husband. I kid, mostly, but for real, it's odd that she'd voice any kind of concern in any kind of affectionate way to her husband. Regardless, Venus does indeed speak to Vulcan about what Juno's been getting up to down on Earth. She reminds him that back when the Trojans and the Greeks were fighting, she didn't ask him for any help. But now... Venus tells Vulcan what's happening in Italy, all the troops and groups of people massing against Aeneas and the Trojans, everyone teaming up to push him from those shores he's destined to be on. She asks Vulcan, while flirting quite obviously, trying to get what she wants, to make armor and weapons for Aeneas. Vulcan doesn't need convincing. He basically tells Venus she needn't bother with all the flirting, and by the way, he would have done this back during the Trojan War too, if only she'd asked. With that, 
The pair get down to business and have some tender sex, which, again, is not very Greek. Before Vulcan wakes again in the middle of the night to head to his forge and get started on this project for his wife. According to the Aeneid, it's the Cyclops who help Vulcan in his fiery volcanic forge. When he arrives there, they're busy working on the usual, maintenance on Mars's chariot, Pallas's armor, including her Gorgonian shield. Again, obviously no mention here that Venus actually loves Mars. Nothing. Just Vulcan's men working on things for the god of war. I miss the drama that comes with Greek mythology. Infighting between gods, not just against humans. Aphrodite not caring at all for her husband and instead being very much into Ares. But this is Rome. So Vulcan arrives and directs the Cyclops to stop their work on those godly things and instead focus on what his wife needs. Armor for her son with another man. Meanwhile, in Palantium, Evander wakes the next morning and goes in search of his guests, Aeneas and the other Trojans, who he'd brought with him. They also woke early that morning. It's time to discuss how, exactly, they can team up in defense of this impending war with the Latins. Their strength is minor, Evander tells the Trojans, though he is very happy to join them all the same. But he adds, there are others in the region who are likely to help the Trojans. Evander tells Aeneas about a nearby settlement of Lydians who settled there generations earlier. For a time, he explains, they were ruled by a man named Mezentius, a tyrant who was pretty unbelievably violent. Evander tells Aeneas that this guy had a favorite kind of torture. See, he would tie dead bodies onto people he wanted to torture, hand to hand, leg to leg. You get the idea. The living people would die slowly, basically drowned in the decaying rot of the dead person. It's pretty disgusting. Was it necessary I share that detail with you all in this episode? No. But did I feel I simply had to? Absolutely. Eventually, Evander explains, his people raised up against him and killed his supporters. He managed to escape their wrath, though, and ended up taking refuge with Turnus. I think the story is meant to make Turnus seem evil, since Aeneas is about to go to war with him, though it also seems just a little convenient. And it gets better. Evander goes on to explain that these people are just clamoring for war, for revenge on Mezentius for his crimes against them. But a prophecy prevents them from actually attacking. Instead, they hang out on the shores, soldiers ready to go at any moment, save for the prophecy. And what does the prophecy say? Oh, only that they can't serve a man of Italy and must wait for a foreigner instead. How incredibly convenient. So, Evander explains to Aeneas that, clearly, he is destined to be the one to lead the Lydians of the region against the Latins, against their former ruler. Evander adds that, sure, technically he himself could be the one foretold of, as he too is foreign, but he's now too old for such things, and his son shares the blood of the land due to his mother, so he doesn't fall into that foreigner category either. No, it's clearly Aeneas. So he tells Aeneas to lead the men against Turnus and the Latins, and asks that he bring along his son, Pallas, and teach him the ways of war. Aeneas is unsure through all of this. He's had enough war. But then, 
Thunder sounds in the sky, a deafening boom, and lightning strikes. Clearly, a sign sent by his goddess mother, Venus, to confirm that this is the path he should take. That's that. It's decided. So Evander and his men perform rites in honor of their gods, and Aeneas and his do the same. Finally, Aeneas selects a number of his men that he'd brought with him in search of Palantium and sends the rest back with the ship down the river to tell Ulysses what his father has decided and to prepare the rest of the men for the impending war. It's time. Those prepared to head to war begin to make their way to the Tuscan plains where they would clash with Turnus and his men. Evander gives his son, Pallas, a tearful goodbye, calling to the gods to keep him safe before finally heading home himself, while Pallas joins Aeneas and the other Trojans as they head for war. On their way to the Tuscan plains, the site of their war, Aeneas and the others rest briefly by a river. They eat and catch their breaths, give their horses some time to rest. There, Aeneas is met with his mother, Venus, She tells him of the gifts she'd had Vulcan make for him and that they're ready, and that that meant that Aeneas should feel confident as he headed for war with Turnus, that he shouldn't hold back. Next to a tree, Venus sets down everything she'd brought for Aeneas, everything the god of the forge himself had created in order to protect his son. It's beautiful stuff, obviously. I mean, it was made by a god. Aeneas is in awe, examining the helmet and the armor and sword. It's stunning. And it gives him the confidence he needs to head into yet another war. Into Aeneas' shield, Vulcan has etched a history of Rome. Or, to Aeneas, a telling of the future of Rome and everything that his son and his descendants will do. Ah. The glory of Rome. There, in the shield, Aeneas sees a wolf, a recent mother, twin boys, humans, mind you, lay near her, nursing at the wolf. Into this shield, Vulcan has laid out all of Rome's glory, everything that is to come. So many actions, victories, events are etched into this shield. Rome's enemies and its allies, those it defeated and crimes committed against it. The shield shows Caesar Augustus himself leading Rome's forces. It shows the defeat of the Gauls at Actium, the defeat of Mark Antony, even his Greek-Egyptian wife. Maybe you've heard of her, Cleopatra. It shows Egyptian gods squaring off against Roman ones, Mars ready for battle. It shows Furies and Discordia, Bellona, all that Rome would see and do, all its gods, but namely those gods of war. Mars is the god of war, Discordia of strife, she's Eris. Bellona is the Roman goddess of war. The shield lays out everything imaginable. I can't tell you how much I've cut out of the description of this shield. The shield foretells all of Rome, created by the gods to show just how glorious and impressive and fated that city is to be. And finally... It shows Caesar himself, striding into Rome, triumphant. Caesar the god. Aeneas examines the shield, adores it and its stories, though he doesn't know them yet. He doesn't know the people or the places that are etched across it, 
but Virgil's readers, his listeners, his patron, oh, they know these stories. They know Augustus Caesar, the man ruling them, who was impressing upon the Roman people how important their origin story is. This story of Aeneas and how he came to that land and how he saw the future, saw Augustus himself and Caesar before him. If Aeneas saw those men in his shield, a shield created by a god, then surely these men are destined to rule Rome and definitely haven't taken it by force or civil war. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Meanwhile, Hera sends the goddess Iris, the messenger goddess of Iliad fame, to speak with Turnus, where he waits to clash with Aeneas and the Trojans. Iris is there with a message. 
She tells Turnus of Aeneas's actions in that time, namely that he is not now at his camp, that he's headed back on foot and will take him some time. She tells Turnus that Aeneas went to see Evander to gather forces and information. He now has so many forces that he couldn't take his ships back and therefore delay. She tells Turnus this so that she can urge him on, urge him not to hold back against the Trojans while Aeneas is still away from the camp and to prepare all he can quickly. To gather chariots and horses, she tells him, anyone and anything you can use to fight the Trojans. Turnus is ready. He knows exactly who has come to speak to him and tell him all of this, though he doesn't know which god or goddess sent Iris to do it. Either way, he knows how serious it is, knows what he has to do. He is ready to go up against these foreigners, and he worships the fuck out of the gods before he does. So Turnus does as the goddess has told him. Before long, he and all the men he can muster are marching against the Trojans in a show of great and terrible force. They are impressive, to say the absolute least. When they approach the Trojans, they appear on the horizon as a mass of black in the distance. One of the Trojans raises the alarm, calling out that their enemies are nearing and that they should prepare themselves to fight. Turnus is marching against the Trojan fort, of course, and Aeneas and the others are still marching back on land. The Trojans knew what was coming, but they'd been told not to meet Turnus and the Latins on the battlefield yet. There weren't enough of them, so they take shelter instead, behind their walls and wherever they can find it. As they do this, arming themselves and bracing for the arrival of their enemies, Turnus reaches the Trojan walls and begins to speak to his men, calling out and asking who is with him as he throws the first spear against the Trojans. Of course, many call back. They are ready for war. It's all very picturesque and moving, I'm sure. Describing the intricacies of ancient wars and battles isn't exactly my strong suit or my passion, but here we are. But the Trojans are sheltering, and their walls are tall and strong. Turnus finds himself annoyed that they aren't coming to meet him, and he can't find a gap in their fortifications to get in. Frustrated, he rides his Thracian horse back and forth across the walls. He can find nothing, no way to get himself in. Why aren't the Trojans coming to them, he thinks angrily, as he gets more and more annoyed with his inability to breach their walls or draw them out from their hiding places. Turnus refuses to concede his inability to break through the Trojan defenses, so he devises a plan. They may be able to hide within their ramparts, the walls they built so quickly and so sturdily, but their ships are still moored in the river behind their camp. So, Turnus pulls together enough of his men, has them carry as many torches as they can muster, and they sneak around to the Trojans' ships, and in an instant, the ships are set ablaze in the Tiber River. Now, as much as they did intend to settle there for good, the Trojans still absolutely don't want their ships set on fire. It's a brilliant move on the part of Turnus. Setting them alight would absolutely draw the Trojans out from their hiding places, and they'd be forced to begin battle with him, even without their leader, Aeneas. But there is one thing that Turnus didn't account for. Aeneas is touched by the goddamn gods. 
Yes, that's right. Even his ships are affected by the gods. Aeneas cannot be hurt. Aeneas is Aeneas, and he's going to go on to lay the groundwork for Rome, the best of the best, the world's height of civilization. Caesar is a god. Augustus is a god. Aeneas's ships are gods. Okay, that's not all true, but you get the idea, and I'm very forceful about it. The story of the ships goes that the mother of Jupiter, in this case a mother earth goddess with Phrygian ancestry named Cybele, has a sacred forest of pine trees. She is very happy to bestow those sacred trees upon Aeneas, because, I mean, he's Aeneas. But she's concerned for the tree's safety. She's fine with him using them to build his fleet of ships, but still, she requires some assurances that the trees will be safe, even when they are ships. She has her son, Jupiter, Jove, whatever you want to call him. She has him ensure the tree's survival, ensure that the ships made from her trees would never be unnaturally sunk or break apart. Even though these trees were used to make ships for a mortal man, the ships themselves would be, in a sense, immortal. But it wouldn't just be that the ships couldn't be destroyed. That would make Aeneas's life just a bit too easy. Instead, Cybele announces that the ships that successfully reach Italy with Aeneas and the Trojans would, when their time has come, be transformed into ocean goddesses, nymphs, by this mother goddess. So, when Turnus and his men set the ships ablaze, the goddess comes to their rescue, sort of. A booming voice echoes through the sky, telling the Trojans that they needn't come out from their secure hiding places to defend their ships. The ship's time has come. And with a crash, the ships sink to the bottom of the sea and in an instant re-emerge as goddesses, as nymphs that leap from the sea. Now, as you might expect, this isn't an amazing sign for Turnus and his men. I mean, they'd finally found a way to hurt the Trojans and force them from the safety of their walls, and it hadn't gone particularly smoothly. What are you supposed to think when the ships you set on fire go ahead and transform into women? But Turnus isn't going to be deterred. The fury has infused him with a desire for battle, and battle he must have. He's determined not to see this as an omen against them, but in favor of them. Now the Trojans have no access to the sea. Their ships are gone. They're stuck where they are. Turnus gives a speech to his men about the evils of the Trojans, how he and his men are no Greeks, and the Trojans will see that. They will defeat these Trojans far quicker than the Greeks did. Hector held those Greeks back for ten years, Turnus says, but not now. No, Turnus announces that they'll have no need to hide out in the belly of a horse in order to defeat these Trojans. He will do it out in the open. Turnus is very sure of himself, very sure of the evil he's fighting in the Trojans, and the sure success he is to have. Meanwhile, the Trojans are trying to figure out how to proceed next, since Aeneas still hasn't arrived back to them. They figure they have to reach him, both to let him know what's happened thus far and to get him and the rest of the Trojans there to help out, as soon as physically possible. They're a bit lost without their godly, divine Aeneas. Two of Aeneas's men, Nissus and Euryalus, stand out amongst the group. The two are close friends, keen for adventure and very ready for war. The two volunteer to bring news to Aeneas, to sneak through the Latin camp during the night in order to get to Palantium and reach the rest of the Trojans. They are ready for the glory that will come with such a feat, 
ready to prove themselves to the other Trojans and to Aeneas. The pair decides this, but not before fighting over which of them will go and which of them will stay behind for news of the other or to receive their body if one of them dies. These men are very close friends. They both want the fame and glory, but neither wants to see the other hurt. In the end, though, they're both stubborn enough to go. Nissus and Euryalus leave their watchposts, grabbing other Trojans to take their places. They convene a meeting of Trojans to make their case and have the others agree to send them off. It takes little convincing. Everyone wants Aeneas back and agrees that these heroic men are the ones to do it. Many very fancy gifts are promised to them if and when they succeed. So, Nissus and Euryalus steal off into the night to reach Aeneas in Palantium. When Nissus and Euryalus reach the Latin camp, everyone is asleep. As they steal silently through the camp, they realize this is an opportunity. So while one keeps watch over the other, the men sweep their way through the camp in the direction of Palantium, quietly slaughtering every man they can as they go. Euryalus kills many, many of the Latin men as he sneaks through, growing more and more bold with his killing as they go. Finally, they reach the outer edges of the camp, and Nissus senses that Euryalus is getting a little too brazen with his killing. He calls to his friend quietly, telling him he has to slow down, that they'd killed enough of them without being caught, but it's getting lighter by the moment, and if they continue on much longer, they will surely be found out. No, they have to stop. They'd made it to the edge of the camp anyway and done so much damage. Notably, they'd killed Messippus, a powerful man, and stolen his helmet, along with a few other spoils from their kills throughout Turnus's camp. Euryalus agrees with Nissus. He puts on the helmet among other pieces of armor they'd taken as they went, and just as quietly as they'd entered and killed all the men they could, he and Nissus pass through the camp and into the open, making their way in search of Aeneas in Palantium. But just as they're passing out of the Latin camp, three hundred horsemen were riding up to the camp from the Latin city, they are headed to speak with Turnus. From afar, the leader of this group sees Euryalus and Nissus, though what really catches his eye is the helmet, Messippus's helmet that Euryalus has stolen and taken to wearing. It's an obvious one. The plumes shine in the rising sunlight and stand out, stark against the backdrop. That was all it took. The horsemen had spotted Euryalus and Nissus and took after them. They called out, but Euryalus and Nissus didn't bother trying to answer who they were or why they were there in the night, fully armed and wearing a helmet that wasn't theirs. The Trojans took off into the dark forest nearby, each running as far and as fast as he could. Nissus got away. He managed to dart through the forest, and before he knew it, he was safely on the other side, free from the Latin men who were pursuing them. Euryalus, though, found himself lost in the darkness of the forest. There were few roads and fewer trails. He was weighed down by all he'd stolen and was slower than his friend. The horsemen surrounded the forest and so surrounded Euryalus. 
Nissus only realized he was alone when it was too late. He ran back into the forest in search of his friend, following the sounds he could hear. But by the time he reached Eurelis, he was being surrounded by the horsemen penned in by them. Nissus thought of his options, how he could free his friend, but there were few that didn't immediately result in both of their deaths. He wouldn't leave his friend, though. He couldn't. Nissus managed to kill a couple of the horsemen and even attempt to give himself up to them in an effort to save Eurelis. But by the time he did, it was too late. He watched as a spear went through Eurelis, splattering his blood before Nissus. In a horrible rage, Nissus tried to kill the man who'd done it with his last moments. As he did, many of the horsemen stab at him, coming at poor Nissus from all sides so that in the end he falls upon his friend's body as he dies. The men are remembered for what they did that night, how they killed the Latins before getting caught themselves. They're certainly meant to be reminiscent of men of the Trojan War, maybe even Achilles and Patroclus. Their loyalty to each other is what's most memorable for the pair. Virgil says clearly that if he can do anything, it's keep their memories alive. The rest of the Trojans, still safe behind the walls, didn't even know the two had perished until they saw their heads on the stakes of the Latins rising up from the plains that stretched out beyond their walls. Oh, nerds, thank you all for listening as we get deeper into the Aeneid. I'll be honest, I didn't really see the story of Eurelis and Nissus coming. Such lovely friends and such a tragic end. For once, I actually feel for some of Aeneas's men. You can really see the parallels between this second half of the Aeneid and the Iliad. Virgil's really calling upon the themes of Homer between the nighttime raid of an enemy's camp and the tragic deaths of loyal friends. War is a real bitch. Next week, provided I get a book of sources on time, we're taking another brief break in the war between the Trojans and the Latins for a very special episode on the most talked about character of all of Greek mythology, especially these days. Well, as usual, I would love if you would rate and review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple. That would be very much appreciated. I hope I'm keeping you all company while you're staying safe from the plague our world continues to experience. I know a lot of places are uh, quite bad right now, Canada included. So please, everyone, stay safe and healthy. Wear a mask in public. Wash your fucking hands. We all want the world to go back to the way it was, and that won't be happening if we don't all do our part to slow the fucking spread. Let's use 2021 to show Apollo where he can stick his precious plagues. Thank you all. I am Liv, and I fucking love this shit.
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon Serum. This next-generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.